Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, February 23rd. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. We have no theme. We have no guests. It's all about you today. It's your show. Pick up the phone and tell me what's on your mind. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, jump in and join us. Phone lines are open right now, 855-950-3835. We will get to those calls here as soon as they start coming in, so jump in and join us. A couple things, we've got uh, Rolling Toe confirmed for 10 a.m. Pacific time today. Mike and Kevin Beckett will be here answering all of your questions about tires and alignment and wheel bearings and all that fun stuff. So plan on joining them. Couple things coming up. We are getting ready for travel. We're going to be gone for a couple weeks at least. We might extend the trip. Uh, We'll be leaving sometime next week. So I'm going to be doing some recorded shows just to fill in on the days we're traveling. We are going to be Uh, Taking our equipment and broadcasting from the road, it's going to be the first real test of some uh, new technology I've been putting together to be able to do the show from the road. The goal is really, uh, and I'm going to try it next week, we'll see how it works, to be able to do the show from a phone with good sound quality. I mean, it's not hard to do a show from the phone, but sound quality is usually pretty poor. So I've been working on ways of improving the sound quality and being able for a host to do an entire show just from the phone. Myself, when I travel, that'll be nice, Um, but it will allow us to bring in other hosts as well. Uh, People like Joel and John who are working, you know, full time, but they take time and, and join us on the show. We want them to be able to do shows from the road easier as well and, and do shows on their own and, so that's what we're working on. Next next couple weeks will be a little different, nothing major. Just thought I'd let you know. We are heading down to uh, Southern California for a trade show that lasts a week. It's a really long trade show. Uh, so we're going to be really busy with that. A lot of our current partners and vendors will be there, so we'll get a chance to meet them. Uh, you know, a lot of the partners we've brought on in the last several years, we've never met. So it'd be uh, it'll be nice to to do that, and we're looking for new partners and new products for the store as well. So uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Calls are starting to come in. Keep them coming. Eight five five nine five zero three eight three five. A couple interesting articles I posted this morning uh, about the brokerage industry. They are going through rounds of some pretty significant layoffs. Looks like we had too many brokers. Actually, we probably didn't for the amount of freight we had. It may have been the right number. Uh, But the brokerage operation, like most businesses, industries, and segments, is extremely competitive. You know, I I know that the thought process of the owner-operator is the broker just decides whatever they want to pay somebody and and they take all the profit and it it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. Uh, The brokerage business is a tough one to run. I'll tell you, it really is. I did it for a little while. I didn't like it. I honestly never felt like anybody was really happy. Uh, You know, my customer 
When you're a broker, your customer is the shipper. And that's who you need to provide value for. But you also have to deal with carriers and owner-operators, a big, big part. And for some reason, carriers sometimes get the attitude that they're the customer of the broker. They, they talk about and complain about brokers as though they're the customer, but they're the service provider. Sometimes we get this completely backwards. So I'm not going to do a long spiel on brokers have done that enough, but this is a sign that brokers can't just grab freight, charge whatever they want for it, and take the profit and run. It's a competitive business. They they are being laid off. Small brokerages are going out of business, just like small carriers and owner-operators. Big brokers get bought up during times like this. So it was. Uh, I posted a list. Virtually all of the larger brokerages that we're aware of were laying off hundreds of people each. Uh, is that also possibly because of more automation coming into the industry? It could be. One of the other articles I posted kind of goes along with this. Uh, it's hard to believe that it was less than two months ago, just about two months ago, I guess, I started talking about AI, artificial intelligence. I've talked about it before. I've been you know, following it for years, but I started a couple months ago saying we have access to this now. You and I, we can go play around with artificial intelligence. Chat GPT was the first one I was talking about. Since that time, I've played it with at least 10 artificial intelligence systems that do different things. One of the ways to think about this, we have to think about these artificial intelligence systems as, I hate to say this, but we have to think of them like people, because that's kind of the point. We are teaching machines to think and act and respond like people. And they're not all knowing. In fact, artificial intelligence is already looking like it is going to be very, very specialized. So think about the, um, I'm going to pick on cardiologists. Think about how highly skilled and trained a cardiologist is in cardiology. But that doesn't mean they know anything whatsoever about NASCAR or hunting or poetry or pick anything. They, they may be really highly skilled and trained in intelligence in one area. They may be a total idiot in many, many other areas. That's human beings. I mean, that we can't all know everything, obviously. So we tend to specialize. You have to think of this artificial intelligence that way. It's not all-knowing. It, it, in fact, it's the opposite. It can only know what it's been trained to go out and find and do, just like we train a human being. So these artificial intelligence bots and platforms and, and software, they are already showing up as very specialized. Like I, there's AI being used, we're, we're using it already in our company, that does basically nothing except write good email headlines for you. So you design an email to go out to people. These are like marketing or information kind of emails that you're going to mass send out to the people on your email list. And once you write the email, 
the artificial intelligence writes a good title for you. Writing titles to emails, there's a real art to that because if you write them correctly, people are more likely to open them and that's what we want. So that's how specialized these things will be. It does one thing. Like I said, I've played around with about 10. Uh, Everything from, you know, bots, AI bots that are primarily designed to go be like super search engines, kind of. They're, They're going to go search the internet for you, but they're smarter than just a traditional search engine. You can be more specific when you ask them questions, just like you might ask a human. And that's what they do. There are lots of AI bots already that write things and they can write all kinds of things. They can write ad copy for commercials. They can write poetry. They can write novels. They, there are AI bots that are taught to pass exams. They can pass the bar. They can pass medical exams. We have to remember though that these things are really specialized and they are trained And as much as I hate to keep saying this, but I I have to, we have to think of them as though we are dealing with a human and humans have opinions and humans can be wrong and humans can be biased. That's what artificial intelligence is. And I don't think we were expecting that. I wasn't. I don't know why I that that never dawned on me that this is how this was going to work. So here's the um, here's the headline that goes along with the broker layoffs. I I don't think this is a a big part of this right now. I, I really think that most of these layoffs were because of slowing freight. But here's the headline. How will AI shape the future of freight negotiations? Wow, there's a, there's so many ways we could look at this. I, I have a feeling I'm not going to like the way this plays out. And here's how I see it playing out, unfortunately. I, I think when AI gets involved in freight negotiations, it's going to be a lot like um, internet freight where you actually bid on it real time. It, Bidding real time is never good for the people who are doing the bidding. And, and that would be us in this case. We're, we're bidding to get the freight, but in an open, a truly open market, like there have been uh, uh, shipping wars. What was the platform they all used to find their freight? I can't remember the name of that one now. But that kind of technology, in my opinion, is always a race to the bottom. It takes away the human aspect and the service aspect and the value aspect of what I can bring to my customer, a broker, a shipper. And it just brings it down to numbers. It's very efficient for our the transportation sector overall. It's good for us as consumers because it drives prices down, you know, kind of like the Walmart effect. You know, as much as people complain about Walmart, a lot of people shop there. That's why we complain about them, because they got so big because they but they got so big because they gave people what they wanted. A lot of cheap stuff. I don't like that model. I don't know what we do about that, but that's what I believe the the uh, AI technology and freight negotiations is going to bring us. Now, there's a positive side of this, and I'm trying to explore this to find out how hard it's going to be to program AI. 
And what I mean by that is, is the work that's been done to get AI where it is now really could only have been done by very large companies like Google and Microsoft and, and, you know, these very, very large companies. But I have a feeling we're going to get to a point where you can take AI that's already been programmed and then use it in very specific ways. I think that's what's coming. And that's what I'm looking forward to and trying to stay on top of. I would like to see AI used from from our point of view, from carriers and owner operators to scrub data out of um, truckstop.com and DAT and the big load boards and use it to help us find the most profitable freight. I don't want it negotiating for me, but I do want it to to use all that power to go in and find all those things that I've been searching around in load boards for decades to find. You know, where do you find those cool little triangles where you can average three bucks a mile and be home every weekend? Uh, That's the kind of stuff. It's in there. It's in that data. But we're talking about millions of loads every week. And for a human to try to search through there and find that is virtually impossible. I've been doing it for decades. You do find stuff, but you can spend a lot of time in there. So I'd like to put AI to use in that way. I don't like the idea of AI really being a part of the freight negotiation itself, because I just really think that's a race to the bottom. Uh, All right. Phones are uh, starting to pile up on me. I had a bunch of stuff I was going to talk about, but I, uh, I may record it later today for a commentary. I, I am going to be doing a lot of recording. I've got some stuff scheduled for later today, um, but I'm going to try to squeeze in some more before we have to hit the road. Let's uh, let's find out what's on your mind. Let's go to New Jersey to get started. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I guess I did a call yesterday or Monday. Um, That's a free for all. About- Anything goes. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter that we're trying to switch to all 100% cotton clothes and uh, 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 worry about heavy metals in our chocolate if we're going to end up and all end up in a fallout bunker. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm almost taking the opposite approach to this. In fact, I, I was this was one of the things I was thinking about talking on my open and then the calls started to pile in. So I may do it on the commentary. I'm taking the opposite approach. We're looking around and we're seeing mushroom clouds every day on TV. We're seeing these huge chemical fires. Something's going on. And we already know we've polluted our planet pretty horribly, you know, with with lots and lots of chemicals forever. But now it seems to be getting worse. It almost is it intentional. I, I don't know. Is it just the fact that We've allowed our standards as a country to drop so fast so far that we're now talking about the fact that our aviation industry doesn't seem all that safe anymore. You know, we've got planes bumping into each other on runways over and over. That never used to happen or it was so rare. Um, I know two instances of commercial flights almost dropping out of the sky on takeoff because of a pilot error. Um, I watched a story yesterday about an Amazon pilot who crashed a plane. I mean, a, a 767, I think it was, a cargo plane, killed three people, himself, his co-pilot, and a, another pilot that was just along for the ride, killed all of them. 
And it turns out the the pilot had been with seven different airlines in a couple of years, and every one of them said he just wasn't competent and couldn't be trained. Like he'd been through retraining multiple times. When he gets to Amazon, they put him through the training with a bunch of other pilots. Everybody else passed except him. They had to put him through a class again. How did that happen? How are we, how did we just find out that a thousand trains derail every year in this country? That's about two and a half a day. Our standards have dropped so, so bad that we've created this danger and, and these chemicals and contamination are a part of this. So I'm taking the approach that, look, that's out of our control. What is in our control is what we put on our bodies, in our bodies, what we eat, where we live. I'm going to do everything I can, not only to avoid all of that crap when I can, but I'm going to, I talked about it yesterday, yeah. I'm going to start a, a detox routine um, using, you know, uh, a magnetic clay. You put it in a bath, you, you soak in it, it pulls a lot of toxins out. That and infrared sauna, those are regulars now. I, and I'm going to go even further on like personal care products, no toxins whatsoever. Remember, we yeah. should focus on what we can control and this we can still control. And, and you're going to hear me talking about detox way more than I ever used to. Uh, yeah, I mean, I started we started looking the ingredients in our clothes now. It's crazy, you know, and you find out to make things soft i guess with these other things they mean chemicals yeah yeah so so we're switching. but so i guess tammy, tammy told me i must have missed that show because we eat we were you know having that beyond good chocolate and uh i forget the other one but she said something like there's heavy metals in those they're you know they're that, uh, but uh, it was a lot of the kind of big name brands that were named, obviously, because that's the one they go look for. The, the challenge now is almost all of the chocolate I get is really, really small batch, small companies. And uh, if you want to test it, you probably have to go do it yourself. So, yeah, I was going to say, so what does that mean for the the, the, the cacao, you know, uh, powder and stuff, you know, the uh the Four Sigmatic, but yeah, they're more of a small, uh, but still, I guess it's in our uh, it's, it's, soil. I, yeah, so one, a lot of the chocolate, the really high-quality chocolate, does not come from the United States. It's grown in other yeah, parts of the world, yeah, a lot yeah. like coffee. You know, there are regions where they grow yeah. really, really good chocolate just because the conditions are right. I, I hope... My, my hope is a lot of the places where chocolate is grown is not heavily contaminated. You know, it, it tends to be in areas where there's not a lot of people in industry. So so that's my hope is that this small batch chocolate is cleaner. Would that be like mercury? Like, you know, like the tuna thing? What, what would be the heavy metal in something like, like that? Uh, it can be cadmium, it can be lead, it can be mercury. It, it, can, oh, it those yeah. are are heavy metals, and they're kind of what we call forever chemicals. This stuff doesn't go away. Okay, well, think of uh, all the, think of all the crap that just got dumped on East Palestine. East Palestine. Which, first yeah, off, there's a right, whole right. bunch of chemicals oh that we don't know a whole lot about how they affect the human body. But then there were two other factors. The the 
mixing of those chemicals that occurred and the burning of the chemicals that occurred. When either one of those two things happen, a whole bunch of new chemical compounds are created. Yikes. Yeah, so what uh, are they? We saw, I saw the um, testing, or I guess the uh, OK chakras was one of those that I, I've seen at uh, one of my stores, uh, Tazo or TZAO or one of those. Right. You know, uh, but how do, is that accurate? Or I mean, I don't know. I thought I, Beyond I, Good was right. OK. Yeah, the, the one Tazo, or I forget. I've looked at that one in the past. I've eaten it in the past. It looked to me like it was coming yeah. from someplace in South America and it just really small batch. And, yeah. You know, some of this yeah. is also naturally occurring. You know, one of the things, right. okay. if you eat a lot of brown rice, which we certainly don't recommend, and, and even somewhat in white rice, there's arsenic. But it, it, that's naturally occurring. It, it's not that we contaminated yeah. anything. It, uh, the... We also have to remember that heavy metals are naturally occurring. You know, we're not talking, when we say heavy metals, we're not talking about things like chemical compounds that we created, like vinyl chloride. We're talking about a natural element. Remember, these things come off the elemental table. They occur in nature. Now, they usually don't occur in big concentrations that would harm us, but occasionally they do. And for some reason, rice tends to accumulate arsenic out of the soil. Right. So, okay. Yeah. A bite or two of chocolate is not going to hurt it, basically. (laughs) You know, I, I... I mean, of course, Believe we live for not, quality. But, as yeah. much as I talk about chocolate, how much I love it, I've cut way back, not because of the heavy metals, but because of the oxides. And it's probably yeah, not yeah. a bad thing because, uh, you know, it may be contaminated with heavy metals as well. Right. Okay. Good talking to you. All right. Good stuff. Um, you know, yesterday when I, I was talking about, uh, you know, you had um, – Jared Ramirez, the CEO of Environmedica, on with me. Um, and I started talking about detoxing because of things like the train derailment. I, I could tell Jared was a little uncomfortable. It, it, manufacturers of products like that have to be very, very careful that they don't make claims that this will alleviate the problems of something like that. I can make all kinds of claims, and, and I do, and I will. Uh, I don't care what they tell me. Uh, it, it's one of the advantages of, of not being licensed in any way. You know, some people make that a big negative. Oh, you're not a doctor. Or you're not. Where, where did you get your information? Oh, that's a certificate program. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I got my information from a lot of self-study. Um, but I actually see it as an advantage that I'm not licensed anywhere because it's the licensing bodies that try to shut you up when you talk about stuff like this. Uh, we're now at a place in our business where you, you really can't shut me up anymore. Uh, at some point, we'll be to the point where the only way to shut me up would be to turn off the Internet and then I'll stand on the corner with a bullhorn. Uh, so I, I don't mind talking about stuff like that. I, I will make the claim that if I'm going to be uh, exposed to a lot of toxic chemicals, I'm going to do everything in my power to detox any way I can. And magnetic clay is one of the most powerful and easy. And and safe. We're only detoxing through one pathway, our sweat. 
So we did bring the product into the store. I've been using it for years, uh, on and off, not a lot. I'm going to be using it much more often now. And and that's why I kind of didn't bring it in. I, I was using it maybe three or four times a year. Um, I, I'm going to start using it twice a week right now, um, or at least once a week. We'll, we'll see how things go. Uh, so I'll be talking more about that. But if you want to get some, like simple stuff, it's it's clay, it's a powder. You open it up, you throw it in a blender with some water, and then you dump that into your bathtub and you soak in there in a nice hot bath. Um, great, simple way to detox. That is Environmedica's Magnetic Clay Bath. Find it at Let'sTruck.com. All right, enough of a commercial. Let's get to some more phone calls. Go to Arizona. Harold, welcome to the program. Kevin, I'm just so grateful for you. I've been listening to you since you were on at midnight on XM years ago. Yeah. And I'm an old uh, Bruce Williams listener. I've been out here 48 years. And I just wanted to throw a comment out the other day on the Power Hour I listened after the fact yesterday and the guy that called in looking for the APU and I have you to thank for that. But I heard about the electric APU.com over there in uh, just West of Chicago. There's a fellow in there named Tom that comes from Croatia that used to work in an electric car manufacturing plant in Croatia. He came here and became an owner operator and the way I heard about it, the guy that he sold his truck to, it was a Volvo, had uh, called in and talked about him. So I looked him up right away, and I'm on my third generation of electric air conditioner since 07. Nice. Started with the Medic with a, with a uh, inverter and about 13 batteries, and then I went to a Polar Storm unit which I showed to Bruce and those guys at Pittsburgh when I first got it. It was a 48-volt unit, but it was a one-man show, and the man disappeared, and I couldn't figure out how to run the computer on it. Yeah. So when I heard the, about the electric APU, I, I looked it up right away and called Tom up there and got it put in, I think, in November. So I haven't been able to use the air conditioner, but I, like Paul, am a car hauler, although we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. I haul private cars. Got it. But I hooked up, he put a 24-volt air conditioner in here, and I run that off of eight HGM batteries, and I also hooked up my electric hydraulics to the 24-volt, which uh, so I can never have to run the truck, ever. Nice. And uh, Yeah. But I have learn so much from you. I mean, it's like I used to listen to Bruce Williams and learn about business. And when I stumbled onto you, I automatically just latched onto your words of wisdom. Cause like you, I'd list, I have a, uh, library of cassette tapes like Bruce has that I can't right. listen to anymore. Uh, and the thousands of books that I've listened to over the years. And I, I'm just grateful for everything you say all the time. It's well, amazing. Well, Through you, I, 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 I met Paul and I, we've become good friends over the phone, but it was through you that I met him and, and Pittsburgh Power and all that. So I'm, I've saved, you've saved me thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands. I, I love that. You know, and that that's the beauty of the tribe. That's the beauty of the other partners we bring in. It, it, it's a win-win for everybody. Um, but you know what you've been doing is is pretty damn important, too. You were doing this back in 2007. You're a real pioneer in yeah. this area, and that, that's what we need. That's how we can learn what works and doesn't work in the real world. Somebody's got to take that chance. And And I've done it on a lot of things. You do it. 
you can spend a lot of money and time on this stuff. You know, a lot of people would, would rather, yeah, I know a lot of people would rather wait till it's plug and play, you know, that, and there are a lot of owner operators sitting around waiting for good plug and play solutions on APUs. And, um, it, it's people like you that spend years working through this stuff and, and getting it developed. So it works on the real world. Tom has developed pretty much a plug and play unit. It's very clean. You could go on electricapu.com and see them. Now, on my car carrier, he went way out of his way and mounted the unit, which they usually put on the back of the cab down below off of my frame because I didn't want anything on the back of the cab for looks and also because of the car hauling. I, I couldn't have anything there. Yeah. So he went, it took him two days to put it in. He used my batteries that I had in here already. But I think he was charging like $8,500. I know you guys were talking about the Thermal Kings costing up to 14000 now. And this doesn't do everything the Thermal King will do. You can't take a 34-hour break with it. But if you run every day like I do, I just, uh, I run 21 days without ever taking a 34-hour break. I just pace myself. Got it. And this works perfect for me. It'll run every night, and it seems very efficient, although this summer is going to be the true test on it. But he has a unique background, working in electric cars over there in Croatia and then an owner-operator for seven years. And then he developed this himself, and I'm, I'm not sure where he gets it all from, but it's a nice unit. I, I, yeah, it is. Hey, you know, one of the things I want to remind people of, the the biggest challenge behind electric in the truck, you know, pure electric with APUs and that kind of stuff, the biggest challenge is hot, humid days. That That's it. At almost everything else, we're at yeah. the point where this stuff handles it really well. If you build your system right, know how to use it, it handles almost every other situation really well. The one thing I want people to remember, and I, I know you know this, but it's not a big deal if once in a while your your electric system gets overwhelmed and you run the truck overnight. It's not that big of a deal to do it once in a while. So so what if we're not all the way there yet? It, there are other solutions that we can still plug into this equation and make this work. Yes, it beats the heck out of running the truck every day. Like exactly right. Eighty percent of people do out here on the road. I just I can't stand trucks idling. I just, I've never liked it. Yeah, I don't either. We had reefers for 21 years. We had reefers for 21 years and I didn't want that motor running while I was trying to sleep anymore, you know, because I had it for 21 years until we got out of that and then got into car hauling. You know, let's go back to that because that's something I've never understood. I I knew several owner operators who pulled reefers and the reefers got to be running. So, they built their own systems because, again, there was nothing on the market. Why aren't we pulling power off that reefer while it's running? We don't have to pull a ton off. So I've seen people that have done that. I also knew several people who thought, wait a minute, why am I sweating in my bunk when there's 20-degree air back there? Let's get some of that up into the cab. (laughs) And that never yeah, that never really got developed. And I, I don't know why we didn't develop more around that. If you put a big all, bigger alternator on the reefer unit, you could power a lot of things in your truck. And that would be a good system. I've thought about that since I've been car hauling. But 
since I don't have reefers anymore, that's not an option. Right. (laughs) You know, we have this big, expensive electric diesel, or not electric, this big, expensive diesel engine back there that we have to run a lot, and we could pull a little bit more power off of it to charge batteries and run hotel loads. In the early days, I had a 350 Detroit in my first Kenworth cab over in 1975, and for some (laughs) reason... It ate alternators. I don't know why, but many times coming back from the East Coast, I would put a, a power line from the reefer up to the truck and run all the way back to the West Coast without an alternator on the truck <laughs> by using the reefer alternator. That's right. <laughs> just because I just because I didn't want to do it on the road, and I you know I would do it myself when I got back home. <laughs> of course, that that's full MacGyver mode there. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I like MacGyver. He was one of my one of the only shows I've ever watched on TV since Dallas went away. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that dates me a little bit. Not much on TV is exciting nowadays to me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's amazing. We have six hundred channels, and some days it's still hard to find something to watch. <laughs> we finally got rid of it at home. You know, you can get so much on the internet now and watch whatever you want. We just my wife doesn't like all that other stuff on the on those uh, six hundred channels either. So, yeah. hey, little bit of a uh, little bit of trivia here since you mentioned um, the TV show Dallas. Uh, the first couple of years that the Dallas Truck Show was on, that was was uh, put on by Randall Riley, and I have a ton of connections at Randall Riley. I've done their partners in business program for a couple decades. I know all the writers. I've written for many of their magazines. Um, the first several years of the truck show, the they would always throw a big party, like an event at night kind of thing. And for the first several years, it was at the house where the Dallas was filmed. And and you know, it wasn't wasn't all filmed there, but they used that that shot of the front of the house and the big estate and all that. And it, we you actually we had the party there in the house, and they had a big barn, and you could go through the house and see it all. And then the party was out in the barn. That was two or three years they did that. Hmm. I've heard you mention Visalia, California. I grew up eight miles north of there in a little farming town. And uh, I I didn't know you knew that area there, but it was a unique place to grow up. You know, I've traveled all over the country. I've been to all 50 states. I've got a lot of miles in the truck, in the coach. I I love to travel. Uh, I don't know what Visalia is like today. Uh, This would have been... Early 2000s, maybe. Yeah, early 2000s, probably. Um, I was actually in California for uh, an Anthony Robbins event. Um, and, and I was just oh, traveling I around. Yeah, I was just traveling around seeing stuff. And I don't know why, but something about when I drove into Visalia and drove around, it just seemed so clean and tidy. And, and I don't know, there was just something about the town that felt different to me. And it's just always stuck out in my head. It's a nice little town. We used to go there. The town I grew up in was a little uh, 2,000 people in the town and mostly farm workers and farmers. 
and we would go to Visalia and cruise when I was in high school, okay. down, up and down Mooney Boulevard. Yeah. So it was yeah. it was the place for us to go, and I always loved Visalia, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, it was I, I've never seen that movie with Ron Howard where they did the cruising in Modesto, but it, I guess it was similar to that. My growing up. You know, stay with me. I grew up in a town of about 2,000 people, and it was that, you know, that time when we were really, really into our cars. So we did the same thing. We cruised and then we parked at McDonald's for the night. And maybe that's why I felt so comfortable (laughs) out there. It felt like home. Yep. It was like that. And it's still like that. It's it's retained the small town uh, image there, but. Still a good town. One of the better towns in the Central Valley there. I live good. in Clovis yeah. now, which is north of there by Fresno. But I say it's probably a, one of the nicest towns in the valley. You know, the other uh, connection I had with Visalia, there was a time when I was thinking, um, when I had my accounting company and I was growing it, I, I was actually in the process of trying to buy a, an insurance agency. We were going to do some insurance and I was trying to bring in health insurance and um, so I, I was looking at buying this small agency that was out. Where were they? Were we in Vegas? I think I might've been in Vegas. I don't remember for sure. I actually went to the office and spent a couple of days there going through their numbers and their operation. Uh, but one of the owners of that insurance company was also a certified financial planner. And I was at the time and he lived in Visalia. Well, he had a house there. He had a couple houses, but one of them was in Visalia. Right. Yeah. I never bought the insurance company. It tur- tur- turned out, turned out both of the guys were uh, crooks and um, just just not, just just not nice people. And it took me a while. I'm glad I spent a couple of days there. I was ready to pull the trigger. Price was right. We had negotiated everything. And the last night, we the three of us went out to dinner somewhere and it was kind of a restaurant bar and we hung out. We were drinking after. These two were pigs. After a couple of drinks, the, the real people come out. They were obnoxious to the waitresses and crude comments. And I, at some point, I got up and left. I'm like, I, I am so glad I came to this dinner and saw who these people really are. Not, <laughs> you know, I, I had done all my homework. There, there didn't seem to be any real problems with the company. But I just could not bring myself to buy that company from these two. That's a, that's a good choice because their company would have been similar to them. Of course. Yeah. One quick note on Anthony on Anthony Robbins. In 1990, we had uh, one uh, truck, and I had a small business there with about seven customers. And I listened to Anthony Robbins' 30 Days to Financial Success, and I listened to it in four days. At the end of that week, I had one new truck ordered and had bought two used trucks. So we quadrupled the business in one week Wow! because I followed Anthony Robbins program. And we ended up growing that company to 267 customers in about seven years. And I sold to my largest competitor there in California. We were, we did frozen LTL. Like, like, like you, I came from an LTL background. Oh yeah. So, but it was frozen and frozen instead of dry. So I always thrived on in that environment, you know, scheduling appointments, all that stuff. So when I stumbled into car hauling after I sold that business, which like Bruce says, I went crazy when I sold the business. I needed trucks. And about 18 months later, I stumbled into hauling new Mercedes and then 
after about three years, I stumbled into doing private cars coast to coast, which is very similar to doing the LTL right. uh, freight. It's right. exactly like that, only it's cars. Yeah. And the scheduling, the logistics, I, I just thrive on that. And at 73, I'm out here working 70 hours a week with that. like everybody else. But <laughs> I love them. I still love it. You know, exactly. I, I listen to Bruce talking about guys that retire. And I went through that when I was 46 years old and I was miserable, Kevin. I know. Miserable sure. because I just didn't, I didn't have a purpose every day to get up and go. And I, I need that. I need that carrot and the stick you know, <laughs> every day. You know, there's a, there's a, we were talking about TV earlier. I got a couple of thoughts in my mind. I should have written them down. So I don't forget them here. My mind's all over the place today. Uh, I, I understand that. So, so there, there's, a commercial on TV and it, it's for this new, these new websites where you can get prescription drugs now without ever really seeing a doctor. Um, a lot of mental health kind of medication is being dispensed this way, you know, antidepressants and um, you see the commercial and it's a young person and um, she's talking about mental health and depression. And, and, you know, she says mental health is like uh you know, the longest day of your life and you eat everything or you eat nothing. And, and it's so wonderful to now have these drugs. And, and my thought was just like, I don't think it's a good idea to completely retire um, and, and not have some sort of a purpose. Part of the problem I see with, and I know old generations always talk about young generations and, but I'm going to, the problem I see is they they are turning away from work. They're they're claiming that, you know, yeah. work is so destructive and you go to work for the man and you give them your whole life just to retire for a couple of years when you're sick and ready to die. And they're just turning away from work. Now, I'm fine with turning away from the man. Don't go work for a big company then if you don't like stuff like that. But these People, they're, they're turning away from work. We're allowing them somehow. I don't know where they're getting the money to do this. The government's helping them a lot. They're, they don't have any mental illnesses. They just don't have a purpose. If you wake up every day and you have that's no right. purpose, that's the kind of crap you're going to go do. And you will be depressed. You're exactly right on that. Yes, you are exactly right on that. That's a major problem in this country right now. Major problem. We think that work is somehow evil. Look, you know, no. you know me with with health. I always go back to our ancestral. When when you lived as hunter gatherers, you worked or you died. That was still work. Yes. You know, I've seen people say, "What do you mean I have to provide for myself?" Yes, you have to provide for yourself. If you don't, you're asking somebody else to provide for you. Somebody <laughs> has to go to work to bring the bacon home, or we all starve. And and somehow we we've, we've now made work evil. You know this idea. I don't know how this, this is going to turn around. I don't either. This idea that automation and artificial intelligence is going to take over all the jobs, and then we can just give people a, a, a you know an income, a living income, and let the machines and computers do all the work. We'll kill ourselves if we do that. Mentally and physically. Yeah. Yes, a horrible idea. 
to not work is not a good idea. And I know everybody thinks they'd love no. to win the lottery or retire, and it, it's not a good idea. There's tons of evidence that it does not work out well for most people. That is so true. I don't know how we change it, though. I thought when I sold it, I, I, don't, I don't know either. When Trump was in office, we had a whole different outlook as a as a people in this country, I believe. And I, at least I did. I don't know. I mean, there was probably half of the people or a third of the people that didn't pay attention to it and a third of the people that hated him. And then you there know, was a third of us that, that liked what he did. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'd almost say there's a group or maybe there isn't. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I think he's one of those people you can love and hate at the same time. And I I do. I haven't voted for him. I probably won't vote for him. And I've said many times, I love yeah, his man. policies. I think he was very effective. The problem is, it, it, you know, we a lot of people debate me on this. I think he was the catalyst that it was like the final straw of the separation of our company, our country. The, the the two sides all of a sudden that just do not want to compromise or work on anything. And, and unfortunately, I think that was just because of his personality. He's effective. I like his thought processes on how the country should be run. I love the fact that he brought back that that national pride, but he only brought it back in about half of the people. The other half, the, they had the opposite reaction. Now they hate that's our true. country. It, it, that's <laughs> never, yep. you know, in in lots of ways, he's been compared to, to Reagan. It, and I don't disagree with that. Half of him, he he did bring about more national pride, but not with everybody. He did the opposite with the other half of the country. He 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 did a lot of the same things Reagan did, but he did a lot of things very, very differently. Um, and, and he is just now that instant trigger for these people. I, I don't think that's ever going to change. You're probably right on that. Sad, look, but... look, at, look at the response he got for going to East Palestine yesterday and delivering a truckload of water and feeding the fire department and actually talking to people on the street. And he is being torn apart by half the country over it. How do you criticize somebody for doing what he did? Can't you just say, look, I hate the guy, but at least he's there. He's helping somebody's trying. Our government isn't there yet. Well, Buddha Judge is there today. Do you know what I saw? I posted this video. I am shocked at this. So a couple of days ago, there's a video of, of a reporter trying to talk to Pete Buttigieg as he's walking down the road. And he looks at him and says, I'm not going to talk to you. I, I talked to a bunch of reporters already today. If you want to know my thoughts, go listen to those. He was obnoxious about it, too. Then at the end, at the end, when he just wouldn't, he's I'm not going to answer anything on camera is what he said over and over and over. Did these people forget they work for us? They have forgotten that. We need yeah, to remind they, them. <laughs> We need to strongly remind He's And he actually made the comment, I'm on personal time right now. <laughs> oh, oh. So if that wasn't bad enough, today he shows up, he's in East Palestine, he's walking through town, and reporters are trying to talk to him. He ignores them, walks into a building. The 
a woman behind her, you hear you hear her voice, and she says, I'm his press secretary. I'll answer your questions. So he goes into the building. The reporters all turn around, and they're talking to her. And she says, I- I'm sorry. I can't do this on camera. She's the press secretary. She watched the video. It goes on for two or three minutes. I'm sorry. I'll answer your questions when you turn off your cameras. Are wow. you kidding me? Is this China? They work for us. You're going to answer my damn questions, and I'm going to film you so everybody else can see it. It it really does seem like they want this to be a communist country. (laughs) One, the problem in in the, the response. They don't want to talk to us. They don't want to be on camera. Here's another big problem. This was some independent journalist that I've never even heard of. Where's the mainstream media pressuring him like that? Yeah, they won't even go there, I don't think. And, and whether you love or hate Trump, watch his video. He walks around talking to normal people. He spent plenty of time. Th- that poor mayor, my God, I can't imagine what that guy's life is like right now. Mayors of small towns like that, it, 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 most places, not even a paid job. I, I don't know. It right. might be. It's big enough. He might be paid. He's not making much. He's so far out of his element right now. My God, he's talking to the White House. You know, I feel sorry for the guy, but yet he's basically ignored by our government. He's had one call from the government, the White House, that was yesterday or the day before. And yet I watched Trump spend a significant amount of time with him walking around talking about what's going on. Mm. He definitely has compassion, it feels to me like, for the average guy. And uh, yeah. whether you like his personality exactly. or not, he did a lot of good good for the country. I think people have to realize I'm not a Trump fanboy. I've been talking about this since he since he announced he was running, and I've never really changed. And, and uh, you know, I'm just going to tell it like it is, the good and the bad. And I, I find it very hard to believe people are criticizing for, for what he did. Somebody actually made there's the no rational. Somebody actually made the ignorant statement that the water was expired, <laughs> and they were serious. There's no rationalization. There's no rationalization talking to those people. They 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 have no concept of reality. The ones that believe that stuff are, are really don't. The, the ones on the far left. You it, can't talk to them. There's no arguing with them. No matter what you say, it doesn't work. You know, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, that's where we are in the country. And, and, you know, we uh, both sides. I mean, you know, when they talk to me at some point, I don't want to listen anymore either. I've heard it all. I totally disagree with your thought process. And I don't think we're ever going to come to any kind of a compromise. That's so true. And I don't know what you do when you get to that point. I I know. (laughs) It, 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 and I am willing to say there are lots of people now that I, I'm I'm done. I, as much as I want to find a solution to this, at some point you have to realize our thought processes are so far apart. There is no compromise. Exactly. No, there's no point in having a conversation with someone that you will never agree with. Right. Right. I, I, you, I have. They're not. They're not going to convince. They won't convince you, and you won't convince them. Right. So I, I have. There's not much point. <laughs> I, I have no desire to to argue or debate with vegans. You go do exactly. your. You go do your thing. I'll do mine. There's no point in arguing this anymore. 
<laughs> that's my brother. And I've been right. listening to you <laughs> doing what you say the best I can out here on the road. And uh, I used to be able to talk to him about food and cars, but now with the electric, <laughs> and uh, you used to be able to talk about the weather. You know, you can't talk about cars, the weather, or that's food. A good point. It's all in enemy territory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Ah. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, Harold. Great stuff. Love it. Love to hear from a uh, a fellow Bruce Williams fan. I, I think uh, most of us are are getting up in age. Yes, there's not many of us left out here anymore. He was wonderful, though. He really was. Just uh, in so many ways, just intelligent, down to earth, practical, effective. All the things I think we need more of in this country. Exactly, common sense and down to earth. Yep. Practical results matter. Exactly. Yeah. I just want to thank you again. I I mean, you have made many hours uh, of worthwhile listening out here, and you've helped so much. We were running seven trucks when when I first started listening to you, and I believe I found out about Nastic from you, and that probably saved at at least – Probably a hundred thousand dollars a year in fuel for me with with I'll seven trucks. Now it's just me. Now it's just me, and I'm I I need to look and see exactly how much I save. But I know it's probably ten to fifteen thousand dollars oh, just on one truck a year. Yeah, yep. Somewhere Harold, in that range. Harold, great stuff. Going to move along. Call, calls are piling up. Check in once in a while. Let's uh, let's go to Wyoming. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, good morning, Kevin. Hey, um, I have a shout-out to everybody. Maybe they could help me. I, um, I'm in Sheridan, Wyoming, and it's warmed up now to a balmy, like, minus 13. And uh, I put my truck, I, I've got a Freightliner, it's got the optimized idle, and I don't know what happened. I didn't set my trailer brakes. And somehow, between the shutting off and turning back on, they, uh, they, uh, Pop the airline, you know, that for the trailer brake, and, and anyway, I'm froze up on my trailer brake, and I wondered if anybody had any brilliant ideas that I haven't tried. Uh, I torched them, banged on the drums, put uh, 91% alcohol in the line. I don't know what else I can try, but maybe somebody's got a brilliant idea. Uh, it, it seems like you've covered most of the stuff we can do with the kind of stuff we carry around with us. You know, a hammer, a torch, some right. alcohol, but uh, those are the typical things we do to try to get this to break loose. And and normally I've found if those aren't going to work, it's probably going to either require a service truck or it's going to have to warm up some. Um, we'll throw it out there, though. Maybe. Saturday. Yeah, Sunday gets up to 30, 30, uh, six, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. Those days, uh, you know, the the last 10 years of my trucking career, just about 10 years, was mostly out of Florida. I gave up dealing with all that cold weather, but it, my career started right. started in northeast Ohio. So I do remember those days of banging on drums and uh, I'm just not. I, and how much um, my, my, my buddy just sent me a, a picture. You got you got 12 inches in Portland. What did you get out there on the gorge? Um, it's kind of interesting. It's really cold for us, which is unusual. The wind's blowing like crazy, which is normal. We don't even have a half inch on the ground here. Uh, 
It, it, yeah, it's it's been snowing, but it's so cold and dry. It's almost like it's evaporating. It's blowing around all over the place, but it's not accumulating. Yeah, that's sort of like here. It didn't really snow much. There's snow on the ground that won't go away, but uh, hell. Yeah, that's um, too cold to snow there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's nice and sunny, um, uh, but there's about four other trucks that have the same issue as I have. One guy just slid out uh, his, uh, like it was, his trailer was a sled. He, he got all the way to the uh, stop sign down there before he gave up. He decided not to pull out on the road, I guess, just sliding his tandems, you know. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't I, was also, I was also thinking, you know, back to when I was fighting this in Ohio, it was common. I mean, we talked about this all the time in the winter. And I think about now, I almost never get calls about this anymore. Right. Right. I don't know what else I can try, but maybe somebody out there, uh, if, if they're listening, can call in and give me a something else to try. I don't want to have to wait till Saturday. I want to work, like I said before. I yeah. The um, the tribe may have an answer for us, so I'll throw it out there. And you don't, you can call. Yeah, I'll give them a couple options. You can call, and even if you don't want to come on the air, just give it to the call screener, and, and you'll pass it on to me. Uh, you can send me a message. I may or may not see it you know, wherever on the tribe or whatever, I'll keep my eye out. But if you have any ideas for uh, Tom and frozen trailer breaks, let us know. All right, Tom, thanks for the call. Thank you. We'll Thank see you. if we can uh, come up with some ideas. I'm I'm kind of out of them. Let's go to uh, Terrence in South Carolina. Welcome. What though, Kevin? I got a quick one, but I got with the brakes. If you have some other guy that's running, you know, his truck's been running a while, comes in off the fuel island or something with some hot, after it runs some hot air through that line, you know, switch off the top and put the service line onto it. See if that does something. Yep, can't hurt. Worth a shot. Yeah. As uh, far as uh, I, I got a comment on the, the brokers you were talking about, but as far as when I ran, I used to run a reefer. I did LTL reefer like from out of uh, New, New Jersey up to Mass and down to Maryland, all that stuff. I used to use a bulkhead when I did LTL. So if I knew why I was doing multiple stops, I got to one stop and pulled off a skid. I would put my bulkhead up. I'd pull my next stop off, leave it in the back in front of the bulkhead. And I, I mean, I'd save so much money on running the, the, the reef right. that way. You know, you just put the bulkhead up, put the, you know, I just, and everyone's like, oh, wow, it's so much work. It's so much. No, it's, it's, not. it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not work. You're right. You know, you, you, put, you put it up and you put two, your two log bars up. I mean, it's, and everyone's like, that's crazy, crazy, but it, it I mean, it worked I, for me. You know, I did, um, um I did a lot of LTL and in the beginning I did, you know, drive in LTL stuff for my first couple of years. And then later on, um, when Aldi, the grocery chain moved into Northeast Ohio, they built a, a big a warehouse distribution center there in Richfield, which is where we already had all of our trucks. Uh, and we went over to Aldi's and put several trucks on. And I did a bunch of those frozen LTL loads, you know, 10 stores, uh, stop and drop off, you know, it, all hand unload, tough places to get into sometimes, tough places to deliver freight to. But I did a bunch of that. Yeah, yep. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, when I just worked for a appliance place and I worked for merchants, that was another thing. You had to, you know, you, you got your next stop and we used to have to take the old appliances. Oh, so right. you had to really that's manipulate right. your stuff on the truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's make, right. I got my next stop got a wash machine and a dryer and, and a, uh, a dishwasher and a, and, a, and a refrigerator. And you're like, all right, well, I got, and, and it says remove all appliances. So when you get there, 
you know, you look at your ticket, you're like, all right, so you're, you're moving stuff around. You've also got to, you know, cycle your, your you know, your stuff to, to the next door to get it out and put the stuff in. It was, I mean, it was like, like building a puzzle, you know? You know, I, I, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Truck, uh, reefer Tetris. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I talk about relationships all the time. And in different operations, different relationships are more important and critical. When I did LTL work, you know what relationships were the most important to me? On the dock. Yeah, the dock. (laughs) Every place I went, I knew two or three companies that I could just whip into their dock, back my trailer up, walk in, not even talk to anybody, and use their equipment, their pallet jack, their tow motor, their dock to, to... to, you know, stage stuff while I'm working on my trailer, I'd pull in, do oh, the, yeah. get my trailer and go. Sometimes I wouldn't even talk to anybody. And I had multiple stops. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, it was, as, and as far as the brokers, it, what I'm, you know, I'm, it, it was never a bad idea when I showed up at one of those places and, and knew I really needed, I needed their tow motor. I needed dock space. I'd show up with lunch. Or something. Exactly, yep. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then twenty dollars and whatever it costs you back exactly then. yeah. But uh, as far as the broker thing, because when I when I was dispatching in Wisconsin, you know we did we we brought beer down to Illinois. We did mostly Chicago land, but those brokers we, we get the loads for brokers, and and some of them they were the ones that laid off people. I don't I'm not going to say any names, but they're in that. If you read that article about it, there's a couple of them that was laid upon. But they would have you 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 get check calls on a load. And they call, and then it'll be like two minutes later, the phone rings and someone else, the company, they had way too many uh, check call people. And that's who I think really got laid off. I'm sure they laid out a lot of other people. But finally, I got tired of this one guy when we used to broke a lot. I was I, I having a bad day. There was a lot of shit going wrong. And, you know, and the, the, the third one called and said, listen, you need to make a spreadsheet. In the morning, every day the loads we get, you put a spreadsheet, you, you share it with us, and when, when, we, when we get it, we'll update it. You know, we would just click on it, and you, you and they, they call the code. They made it difficult instead of just having it delivered or not delivered. You know, we did, and, and that's how we did. So we eliminated, eliminated the calls, people calling in. But now, you know, they, they got all this, all this, this uh, internet stuff and all that. And a lot of the shippers, too, like if you're doing working right for the shipper, they had their own portals. You got to go on there and log in and show that load delivered. You got to tell them the time it delivered, you know, picked up and all that. You go in there and click, you're clicking buttons, but you still got to physically go in to do all that. You yeah. know? Yep. But, all right. I'll let someone else get in there. All right. Okay, okay. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's, uh, let's see. They're piling up on me here. Where are we going to head off to now? We're off to. Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, just doing my accounting and everything and trying to figure out the last week of December is 2022, but I don't get the settlement until the following week and in 2023. And that's how it's all dated. I'm wondering which year to place it in. All right. This is a very, very common question. We get this all the time. There are multiple ways you can do this, and some are more right than others. I'm going to explain the way I like to do it. The most important thing about how you do this is that you're consistent. Every year you do it the same way. Otherwise, that's when we're going to start to get mistakes. 
here's the way I like to do things. So when I enter settlements into profit gauges, I there's sometimes there's multiple dates on settlements. I pick a date and, and usually I pick the date that it was either printed or paid or something like that. That's the date I always enter. And that date will also determine where it goes in the accounting. If the date on the settlement was okay. 2022, it's going in 2022. If it was 2023, it's going in there. That's And it's consistent and it's easy for me to remember. The other way we can do it, and it usually works out if you do the date thing I just talked about, but we also want to make sure the way we entered our settlements matches the way they reported things on the 1099. Okay. I will... Uh... Yeah, because the only thing that was confusing me is the uh, first weekend, the settlement for the first week of 2023 had my fuel for 2020. Correct. The last week of 2022. So I was sitting there like, how do I enter this? So uh, we, we could complicate things and try to create an advantage, but it's not worth it. You're going to pay tax on all the same amount of money either way. So it, it's not worth trying to yeah. say, oh, well, look, I can show my fuel from last year, but I'm going to show my revenue this year. It's just not worth it. Right. You have a system, pick a right. date, and be consistent. Okay, that answers that question. I can't remember what my other question was, but I'll call back another time. You have a nice day. You too. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oklahoma. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I'm uh, looking at buying a truck and just want to kind of go over some, some things on the truck and numbers and see if I'm, I'm right on point here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, before you do, what's your, what's your timeline? When, do you, when are you looking to actually own the truck? You know, I'm, I'm pretty open. Um, I, I'm looking at a, a specific truck. I've been watching truck in, in the market for probably the last year, year and a half. Good. Um, and I, you know, so I'm. Uh, it, it's not. It's not a necessity that I buy it today. But the specific truck I'm looking at, um, if everything checked out, okay, um, I, I'd probably want to move forward. Got it. All right. Um, I'll fair warn you. Um, I found it on Truck Paper. It's from a uh, a big orange fleet. Okay. And I called them, and they give you absolutely zero information. Um, you right. can't get a maintenance report from them. You can't get anything from them. Which is pretty um, common. It, it's more normal that I don't get all those records on a used truck. If I can get them, they're great, but it, it's it's not a deal breaker. We can still find out a lot about that truck by running a rig dig. And uh, if they allow us access to the truck, and, and we're, we'll pay for it, but I want to pull an ECM report out of there. So I've already got a, a, a thing into rig dig. Um, I'm not sure. I got to call them. It didn't come. It didn't. It, it didn't come back right away. So I don't know um, what what's going on with that. So I got to call them later today. Um, I asked them if I was able to take that to an independent shop to have it looked at. Um, it's down in Texas, um, and as a matter of fact, there's a, uh, a a remote tuner for Pittsburgh Power that's in the same town. They won't let it leave their lot until I paid for it. So I called that remote tuner, and 
They don't typically do it, but I talked to the talked to the service guy who said, listen, I'll pay somebody on their lunch break to come down and look at this truck with me. And he said, we'll probably be able to work something out. So I, I can get somebody down to their lot to look at it. Good. Not the, not ultimately what I'd like, but it's better than nothing. Hey, you know, that's not bad at all. There is nothing we can't do as far as inspection right in a parking lot. I mean, we can plug into the computer. Right. We can pull the ECM report. So I don't mind that at all. So what else? Tell me okay. more about this truck. ECM, but it gives the mileage on, and then the gallons used. And if you do that, that mathematical equation, you come out to 8.14 lifetime miles per gallon on that. Yeah, sounds impressive. Oh, okay. it, it, oh that, nice plus. All right. Uh, yeah, we, we can, um, we'll be able to verify the fuel economy with the ECM report. So that's good. Okay. And that. Yeah, and again, we can dig into the ECM and find all kinds of data. I mean, there there's data in there on fuel use okay. during idle time, fuel use during driving. I mean, there's there's lots of good data in there we can go and find. You know, there was a time, I've always said we should look at that data. There was a time where I didn't put a whole lot of faith yep. in it because they just weren't that accurate. The, the you know, the fuel computers on the newer trucks are, are far more accurate than they used to be. So I actually put quite a bit of faith in those numbers now. Okay. Yeah, it says the hour all thousand. Okay. Uh, it seems, you know, seems to be low hours, I would imagine, so it's got the APU on it, so it should have lower idle hours. Correct. Um, really all the information it had. How much? Um, uh, 50, they got it listed for 52.5. You know, I don't know exactly how much room they have to work in it. They said they, you know, there's some negotiation to it. I'm hoping to get it out, you know, not out the door, but I'm hoping at 50 grand I can get it. So 50 sounds like a, a good place to shoot for. So you might want to offer, you know, less and, and work towards that. There's a bunch right. of techniques for negotiation. One of the things people forget about in negotiation, though, we can negotiate. And I don't know, not in every situation. I don't know this situation, but we, we look for other places we can negotiate, not just price. Nobody wants to negotiate on price. We do it because we kind of feel like we're supposed to. But there are other places. You know, I I many, many tires many, many times. And I I can't tell you how many times I've been in a dealership looking at a truck saying, look, we come to an agreement on the price and, and I'll wait till the last minute. Everything's been agreed on. And I'll go, you know what? I will not run recaps. Um, The truck sitting right next to it has the tire that I like swap them over. Oh, we can't do that. Well, of course you can. You have a wrench. I've seen it done many times. No, no, it's our policy. I said, well, you need to change your policy then. Well, no, you don't understand. It's our policy. It's right. all. And I said, no, I understand completely. You can change your policy and sell a truck right now or not change your policy and not sell a truck. And I'll go find one someplace else. And usually I, I've had a couple yeah. of dealers just absolutely refuse to do it. And I walked away. Most of the time I can get it done. Here's something else. And and again, doesn't work in every situation. If you're negotiating with a dealer that also has a shop, I've negotiated for all of my services for the first year free. My worry is, you know, and I thought a lot about that. And I'm, I'm going to sell it as, as much as a, you know, dealer would or, sure they or something like that. It, not maybe as much as a dealer. They don't want that stuff sitting around. 
It's on their books. It's, it messes with their numbers. The longer it sits there, the older it gets, the less it's going to be worth. They, they want to move this stuff. They're motivated to move it. So you will be able to, to well, deal on this. You know, here's so what I'm looking at. Is, you know, I want to explain to people why we negotiate for these other things and not just price. Price is always a win lose negotiation. If you give me a discount on the truck, I won, you lost. If I pay you full price, you won, I lost. There's no way around that. But if I can right. negotiate for a year's worth of services, a $400 oil change every 50,000 miles or whatever the number is, here's the difference. If I have to go buy that service somewhere, it's 400 bucks or whatever the number is for them to provide the service doesn't cost $400. Their cost is far less than right. that. And that's all they're giving away is their cost. I'm getting a big advantage. They're not taking a big hit. That's a win-win negotiation, not a win-lose negotiation. Right. Well, and I, you know, I, I'm, I've got all my numbers set together and I look at it and, you know, just to, even if I get it, and it and it we'll just say it does seven point five miles per gallon, which seems absolutely reasonable for a, a newer truck and, and the way it's set up. This is spec'd well. Um for the the, the monthly payments of it. it this to you me, know, in the difference of what I'm I'm currently getting. This to me on the surface is the best truck deal somebody's brought to me in a long time. It, it, it's clear now truck prices are coming down. a lot of searching. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what prices have done in the last year. I haven't seen prices like this well, in quite some time. you know, a, a truck. Right. And so I'll bookmark trucks I like, and then that price changed. Great strategy. You know, yeah. so I've watched the, watched the, the price uh, spent most of her life up north. Uh, I'm starting to realize that there's there's some rust in the frame and stuff like I, that. And the best I, I know of this truck, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I watch truck prices, but it's not like something I do all the time. I have a lot of stuff that I'm always working on. It's one of the things I do. It seems to me, and, and you probably know this better than I do, seems to me like this truck just last year would have been closer to 90 to 100,000. In the 75 range. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. So the, this now, and like you said, it might come down more. I'm not concerned about it coming down more anymore. If I need a truck and, and and I want to go put it to work, this is a good deal. I, I and I don't care if this thing goes down five thousand dollars more in the next two months. That that's not those kind of numbers don't bother me. Paying ninety thousand for a truck right. that's only worth sixty bothers me. That's why I've been telling people don't buy, don't right. buy, wait. If you can find deals like this, it's time to get back into the market again. This is a deal I'd be interested in. You should pay for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I go in and have it tuned and do, um, maybe I can get that eight and a half, nine. Two things I would highly recommend on this particular truck. Um, I would change the fluid in transmissions and differentials. I can almost guarantee they did not do it. They never do because they know yep. they're getting rid of it, you know, at 600,000. So who cares? And change the yep. um, crankshaft damper. Those two, absolutely. There's probably yeah. some other things, but those two, I know for sure it's going to need. It up there. Perfect. Um, do a Hawkeye report. Yeah. And then kind of work my way through it. 
um, I'll talk about the ability to a lot do with my truck. Absolutely. I, I, as much as I love driving slow, I never want a governed truck that I'm driving. I want to be able, if I have to get out and pass somebody, which is pretty unusual with the speeds I drive, but if I have to, I want to be able to get out and pass them and not be drag racing down the highway all day. I've gotten myself to run 55 miles an hour. Awesome. And I'll, I'll be honest, with, you know, people out there say stuff about it, but it is the most relaxing speed ever. I have, it is. It's no worries of, of yeah. passing people or chasing people or, you know, just out there and cruising. Yeah, and you get used to it. I know people in the beginning go, oh, my God, it's the most stressful thing I've ever tried. It, it is in the beginning. I get that. It's a big change. When yep. you get used to it, it is far more relaxing. And I will, I, I'll make a prediction. This truck is is probably going to be a nine mile per gallon truck under 60. That's what I'm Yeah, I think so. You know, I'm sure that it was a company truck that I'm going to go. It, right. And, and, me by the mile, so and, I'm going to go. And in 600,000 miles, this thing may have developed a charger cooler leak three years ago and still has it. Uh, there's all kinds of things that yeah. could have, you know, fleets are known for putting lousy tires on trucks for, for uh, rolling resistance. So typically when I see a fleet truck, I, I usually figure we could improve the fuel mileage another mile per gallon, no matter how well it's specced. Yeah, and I thought the spec, you know, I've been listening for a long time. Specking is, is right on it. These are solid spooks. Yep. This this is very, very similar to the way I'd be specking one of these. Radio today as well. There you go. Now, th this is a deal I would pursue. I think you found a good one. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Brandy, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kevin. Um, hey, I was listening hey, on Tuesday to Power Hour. Brandy. Things, yeah. things have changed yeah. recently. You know, I, I almost want to ask you if you have a mask on. No. <laughs> no. No. Now, you know, now it might not be such a bad thing. I, I'm joking because a mask isn't going to protect us from this crap. But uh, when I see people in Ohio and Pennsylvania yeah. now, I always wonder. No, I'm in, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's beautiful here. It's hot, actually. Um but uh, I was listening Tuesday, and Matt had called about um, the railroads, and I came across a video on YouTube that really had a lot of useful information about what he was talking about. And he actually showed an actual defect of why that probably happened. And um, the, the YouTube site is uh, CCRX6700, that's railroading. And it was titled, A Failed Detector and the Train Derailment in East Palestine. And basically, it was suggested that when, I guess, um, the bearings go bad, they, they, they drag those wheels until, I guess, the axle breaks. And there was, I guess, a video of that train as it passed. It didn't spark. So in the video, it shows um, when a train goes too slow through this detector, uh, it, it records... The, it takes a picture of the wheel, and then it takes a, a heat uh, picture also, and it came up failed. And then they, there's two guys on both sides, and they're trying to see where why is this. Well, in the video, they show that the signal box. I always thought this were porta potties, but there are actual uh, ways to uh, signal the engineer that there's a problem on the train. 
and they just simply plugged a space heater in and it was fixed. But uh, <laughs> it, it was fascinating of that. You know, it's like, wow, uh, who knew? Yeah. That, that the railroads were really that broken. I didn't. I, I actually, this goes back I ways. Um, this would have been in early 2000s. I did a program with the railroad. I, I was on Florida's road team. Maybe that might have even been in the 90s. I think it was late 90s. I was on the Florida road team for two years. And we did all kinds of, it was actually a really good experience. I did ride-alongs with law enforcement. We'd go out and, you know, hang out at scales for the day. We'd go talk to other groups. We'd go park a truck and trailer in a high school and, you know, show kids about the the no zones and blind spots and all that. It, it was just a good experience for, for uh, a couple of years. But we did a joint project with the railroad and it was about, I'm going to use the correct term because they pounded this into our head. They are called rail grade crossings. So we, we did a program around safety at rail grade crossings. And that is the single weakest point of the rail system. And we should be focusing on trying to improve those accidents. And that's what this program was all about in the 90s. They, I was trained on all of this railroad stuff. And then when I would go out and speak at high schools or civic groups or whatever, we would talk about safety and trucking. And then we would do another piece about safety at rail grade crossings. It was really interesting, everything I learned when I was doing that. One of the things I learned is it's fairly common for engineers on trains to have killed people in their career. It's pretty common. There were many stories. Our instructors told us their personal stories. One of our instructors was on the train, and I don't know if you'll remember this or not. I don't remember the dates. Might have been in the 90s sometime. There was a really big accident in South Florida with a tanker truck. A tanker is sitting at an intersection at a traffic light and the light turns green and traffic starts moving. The tanker follows and there's a railroad track right there in the intersection. The light turned green and traffic moved, but then it stopped and the truck was right behind the cars that stopped and he's on the tracks his trucks across his trailer straddling the tracks, a tanker and traffic isn't moving. And he pulled up so close. He can't get around. He can't back up and a train's coming. And the engineer said, we came around the corner. We're still a half a mile away, but we know we can't stop in that distance. We're just praying. He finds a way to get off the tracks and he didn't. They hit him. Massive explosion, killed people in cars all around the intersection. None of the engineers on the train got hurt. And he said all we could do was set the brakes, hope that he got out of the way, and then we got down on the floor and prayed. And they were already past the fireball, and they had all that protection from the train. They 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 weren't even injured. Um, but several people were killed. Wow. Uh, that was a bad one. Um, another instructor in that course told us about a railroad trestle. He's coming, and this is a bad, this happens a lot. He's coming across a trestle and there's two guys fishing and he can see them and they're kind of in the middle and, and he's a half a mile away when he first sees them. And he's thinking, this happens all the time. They'll get up, they'll run off, everything will be fine. And they did. They heard the train, they got up, they start running, you know, the other way, except one guy forgot his tackle box. He actually turned around and went for it. And because of that, he couldn't get out of the way of the train and, and they ran him over. 
Wow. Yeah, they, it, it, it seems like it's really common. All these engineers had all kinds of horrible death stories. But uh, those kind of things is where we should be focused on. What I'm shocked about and should never have happened, there is no way we should have a 1,000 derailments a year. We shouldn't have 10. That well, is something we can control. Why. It's very difficult to control people and vehicles getting on the tracks or at rail grade crossings. That's hard to control. We should be focusing on making that better. We should not be dealing with a thousand derailments a year. That's insanity. Another thing, uh, Tucker Carlson has a new thing on sudden uh, death by COVID, and uh, thought you might be interested in that too. So. You know, yeah, let me let me comment on that. We've been talking about sudden death from the vaccines since about 30 days after the vaccines came out. We started noting injuries and problems and heart issues really early on. This was not unknown. And yet here we are that and and it really seems to be only Fox right now finally talking about that. I don't think the mainstream media will ever run an article like this. You kind of wonder why they don't talk about these things. Uh, there's um, a phrase called public, is it public-private partnerships I, that they, they won't talk about it because it kind of goes against the, the narrative. I don't wonder. If they did, they would I, basically shoot them. I don't wonder why the mainstream media doesn't talk about this. It's easy to understand. Most, by far, the majority of their ad revenue comes from Big Pharma. Yeah. That's it. That's the whole story. We don't need to look any further. There's no big conspiracy here. They're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. They're just not. Exactly. Yep, that's exactly it. That's kind of what Tucker was saying the other day. Yep, that's all there is to this. This is not complicated. It's criminal. It's criminal, but it's not complicated. I think the whole thing is just death culture. Everything it's, is death. And I, I, this is conspiracy. It's Malthusian. But everything is just to depopulate the world to a certain place where then they can control the people. That that seems to be way out there, but it, it, it I, really just seems to be. I know it is. It does seem like it's way out there, but it's the only logical explanation. Exactly. Really is. I, 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 you know, I'm sure I'm going to be called a tinfoil hat conspiracy nut. I don't care anymore. What? What? Yeah, I don't care. Does it really matter? No. No. Yeah. All right. Randy, thanks for the call. Um, We're going to move along. Paul in South Carolina. Howdy. Hey there. Um, The guy with the frozen brakes in South Carolina. Yeah. If he... I know he's smacked on the brake drum and all that good stuff, but if he gets a pipe wrench and swing on the air cam shaft and bang on the drum at the same time, he might have some luck, maybe. There you go. Yeah, that that's the kind of stuff I remember yeah. laying in ice and snow trying to figure out. You know, it, it's a little shocking to hear so, these kind of temperatures in South Carolina with all the global warming going on. 80 degrees down here today. And we just had somebody say it was hot in Cincinnati. Hell. Yeah. So summer is coming for some regions, but it's not getting here for others. Well, I will say that the the weather we are dealing with right now, we never see this kind of stuff in late February. Hell, I've been out in the garden already this year. And now all of a sudden it's like a frozen tundra outside. Um. 
Yeah, I gotta go. I'll All talk right. to you later. Bye. All right. Thanks for the tip. Let's go to Georgia. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, I want to tell you about what are the, the product that they're recycling up there in, in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, the company I work for is Quality Carriers. They're owned by CSX. Okay. And they have a mutual aid agreement with, with Norfolk Southern, and they send a bunch of our tankers up there, and they're hauling that stuff. It's like 80 or percent water, but 20 to 40% of the product. Okay. They're taking it to Vickery, Ohio, to a recycle place, and they're also hauling it to Deer Park, Texas. It, it's supposed to have something like 200,000 gallons. So is that the vinyl chloride? It's, it's, it's the stuff I was in the ditch. Yes. And they, they had, they had 500, they had 300,000 in frack tanks, but they still had 200,000 on the ground. This was the water they used to put the fire out. Oh, okay. So it, it's not, it wasn't, often, got it. Okay. That makes more sense now. All right. So, um, it's, it's probably, it's yeah, I was so, going to say it's probably vinyl chloride and a whole bunch of other crap and, and then diluted into water. Like in water yeah. Like that. yeah. Now we got to get it out of that. But makes, all the way to Deer Park. Yeah. Uh, all the way to Deer Park, Texas, some of it. Yeah, and, and that may even make sense. I don't know enough about that industry to say that, that we shouldn't do it that way. Maybe that's the best place to deal with it. Part of the problem is the total lack of information and communication. Why do I have to, you know, find out from, from truck drivers and independent journalists what's going on? <laughs> that's a good question, isn't it? Yeah, that's the biggest question I'm I have. I don't want nobody to know about it. I, I, yeah, it just doesn't well, make sense. I don't I mean, we've always known that our government hides stuff from us and there's probably some good reasons, but they didn't hide stuff like this. You're right. It, it wasn't for Donald Trump. The government wouldn't even be there yet. Look, exactly. As much of a capitalist as I am, you can't trust this kind of stuff to industry. This is where we need a good, strong government. I'm not totally anti-government. I just wish we had an effective government. I don't trust industry to do the right thing all the time in cases like this. Not at all. I expect industry to take shortcuts and worry about profit. That's what they do. That's why we have checks and balances. That's why we have regulations. Why do we have so many freaking regulations that we're all sick of it, and yet we still have to deal with this? Yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? No. No, that's why we're tired of regulations, because they don't work. You're right. They never have. No. No, and it's worse now than ever. And now they they just absolutely ignore this. And and I, I swear, I am getting really pissed off about how obnoxious our politicians are, how they're treating, you know, independent journalists or people who have questions. Pete Buttigieg was so obnoxious when he talked to these people. It just infuriated me. Yes, the these politicians don't give a damn what we think. Uh, we, I'm we, from West Virginia. We have and- to figure out a way to remind them that they work for us. I they're, agree with they're, you. But they're, they're, you know what? We should stop calling them. We should stop calling them the authority. You you have no authority. You only have yeah. the authority we gave you. Right. I'm from West Virginia, and our governor wants us to have a tax cut. Our U.S. senator went to the to the legislature today 
and told him, reminded him that the excess money they had came from the government and it's not going to always be available. In other words, don't give us a tax break. Exactly. Our U.S. senator did that. Uh, I, the, the whole thing, is, it, it, the whole thing is such a mess. And, and I, I hate oh, to man. be on the air every day and do nothing but complain about it. I wish I had solutions. Unfortunately, our only solution at the moment is for people to get involved and understand and vote. And I, I just don't see that happening. Well, but, but look, what good is it do to vote? Because it, these people that don't know anything, they're the ones that's going to be canceling our vote. Well, that's what right. we need is term limits more than anything in the world. Well, we could, I, I could say we term we limits. Term limits, we wouldn't be in this situation. Term limits would help. A fair tax would help. But, but how do you get term limits or a fair tax when the people who have to vote on them don't want them? Well, you can't. I know that's that. This that's is the, that. yeah. That, that we're we're stuck in this uh, conundrum that we can see what we need to do to improve things, but the people who are in charge of those things don't want them improved. They like the system the way it is. No, that's right because they're filling their pockets up in their friends, and it's it's a it's a disgrace. It's our political situation. It is. And, and I, I, I hate to say it, but I don't know how to get out of it now. Well, I don't either. All I can do is is, is, uh, is like, keep saying, get, educate yourself and vote. I mean, I don't know what else to tell people. Well, we just need to vote. And, and vote. you know what? There's always this, these people wanting to go around and get other people registered to vote. I don't want you to vote if you don't know what you're voting for. You know, here, here's, here's you a don't know, don't vote. You just brought up a good point. If somebody has to come and find you and talk you into voting, I don't want you voting. There you go. That's exactly right. If you didn't take you ain't got no idea what's going on. Exactly. If you didn't take the initiative to go register to vote yourself and then go vote, you're too damn lazy. You shouldn't be voting. You're right. But those are the people they want because they can control them so easily. Right. You tell me how half the half the voters in this country stupid enough to vote for Joe Biden. How, how could that, how could that even be possible? You know how? Remember, you. remember back when the, Hubert Humphrey run and he won one state? Two answers. Two answers how that can happen. The media and social media. That's what's done it. The left, right. the left controlled both. Up until just recently, we know yeah. this. We're not speculating anymore. We know the left controlled the social media platforms, and they influenced the last several elections. And that's wrong, and it shouldn't happen. You're right. Good. All right, buddy. You have a good day. I'll let you go at that. All right, Randy. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, head north of the border. We're going to go to Toronto. Dilbaugh, welcome to the program. Good morning, uh, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Look, very good. Uh, you have my uh, oil analysis? I might. Let me go look and see if somebody sent it to me. They did. Let me take a look here. Yeah. So we've got a yep. Volvo D13. Yep. What year? Uh, 16. Okay. Uh, our base is dropping a lot. We'll come back to that in a minute. Um, the last sample seemed to be kind of dirty. That one had 38,000 miles on it. We had a lot of wear metals. 
Um, and if I go back to the first sample that I can see, which was December of 2021, we had a lot of wear metals. The copper doesn't worry me so much that aluminum does. Uh, it's weird that we've got elevated copper, but not elevated lead. That is probably just coming from the oil cooler. Uh, our silicon levels are a problem. Now, if I go back to the, and that would be where the wear metals are coming from. So that makes sense. If I go back to that first sample, the silicon level was 15, then it dropped to 11, then it dropped to 10 this time. 10 is our limit. I, I don't like to see it go over 10. And then we, we, we see wear metals. That, that's what happens when we get too much dirt in the engine. What changed? Why, why did the wear metals in, or why did the silicon come down? Did you fix something? Um, I, I put uh, new injectors, all new injectors. Okay, that'll do it then. We had to open up. It. Oh, well, no, that that doesn't make sense because the, the silicon problem was back in end, end of 2021, over a year ago. Right. So it looks like the problem's like, gone I, away. I, I, it, whatever it was, it looks like it's gone away. Why did you need injectors? What happened? A uh, couple of them uh, was very weak. There was, uh, like he was telling me, they were fire, not firing properly, missing, thing like that. He said two of them are really bad, then I change all of them. Okay. Now, you've got 1.7 million kilometers, right? Yeah, but this engine was uh, rebuilt, complete rebuilt without injectors. 150,000 miles before. Before what? Um, like this, uh, actually, the, the total kilometer was 1.520560 when kilometer. They, when they when rebuilt, rebuilt the engine. Why? What was wrong that it needed rebuilt? Right. That, <laughs> that was my mistake, uh, the radiator was leaking, and I kept pushing a little bit further, okay. and it so got, got hot. Okay. Yeah. So, and the reason yeah. I ask is because this is the first Volvo engine I've seen rebuilt in a long time. We don't rebuild these things anymore. They seem to run and run and run, and then we just get rid of them somewhere. Uh, so, I don't see many rebuilds on D13s. So, that, so that kind of – now, here's why I was confused – what you need to do, you need to start showing unit time should be the time on the in frame now. Okay. That If I would have seen that, it would have made more sense. We would have gotten to this answer quicker. But so instead of showing 1.7 million kilometers, you should be showing how many kilometers since the in frame on unit time. That way we, okay. we know that there's okay. an in-frame and, and it's a low-mileage engine. So I, I think what I'm seeing is that those early numbers with the wear metals and the, the silicon, that was just all left over from the in-frame. That all makes sense now. So that's why nothing ever got fixed. Nothing was really okay. broke. So now that I got all the mileages figured out, it all makes more sense. My biggest concern about this truck, and it's kind of odd, what oil are you using? Chevron Dello. Um just for the fun, yeah. just for the fun of it, the next time you change oil, I would throw some Rotella in there. Your base is dropping a lot. I did it. I did. Okay. I did this time. I changed my oil a month ago, and I I 
put that or tell I in it. I will yeah. see next time what happens. Yeah, let's check that sample and see. My guess is that that low base may go away. Some oils just have different formulations, and okay. it's it's not that one oil's bad. It's just they're they're different. Some engines like some oils, and there, there's not a pattern. But we've seen this, so I, I have a feeling your next sample is where we're going to start really seeing things clean up. Okay. So really, there's, and, uh, there's, there's nothing to do right now. Everything looks okay. All we do now is monitor. Okay. Okay. And uh, where do I get that hot shot frequency? Like the base, for the base? Um, I'm sure you could order it online. Um, I would think truck parts stores might carry it, not so much truck stops. I'll throw okay. that out to the audience. Somebody will probably, you know, start sending me messages where they get it. All right. I have another question. Sure, Health go ahead. Question. Yep. Okay. Uh, today, right now, I'm checking my uh, blood uh, sugar. This morning, fasting was 4.9. Then I had my bulletproof coffee. I put, hold, uh, hold on one, one and a half. Uh, uh, hold on one second. I have got to bring up a calculator because you're giving me metric numbers. So I need A1C to um, EAG, I think is how they refer to that. I need to calculate here. I can't do this one in my head. I should probably learn this calculation. Maybe I would be able to do it in my head so I don't have to waste all this time. Um, So you're reading... Go over that again. Tell me what your readings were. Fasting was 4.9. Okay. And then I had my bulletproof ball three. I put one and a half. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I I think I'm more confused than I thought I was. This is your A1C, right? 4.9. Uh-huh. Okay. What? No, hold on. Sheesh, I am confused. Are you checking this yourself with a meter? Yeah. Okay. So this is not A1C. This is your glucose number, but it's in the other form. All right. Go ahead. Finish your... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me the rest then. Okay. Then, uh, like, uh, in my bulletproof coffee, I had a one and a half tablespoon of uh, maple syrup. And then after one hour, it came out 6.5. Okay. Um, and then another one hour after is 4.3. All right. I'm going to have to start writing these down. I am not, my brain's not functioning right on these numbers. So we our first reading was 4.9. An hour after the maple syrup, we were at what, six something, did you say? 6.5. And then an hour after that, which is the two-hour mark, you're at 4.3. Yeah. Okay. So without even converting the numbers, um, because I had the wrong calculator up here, um, without converting the numbers, I can tell you that I like the pattern. The pattern's really good. Normally, what we expect is in the second hour, you come down somewhere. The second hour, all we really care about is that it's lower than the first hour. It's the third hour we expect to be back to our baseline. You were under your baseline in two hours. That's a good sugar response. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah, I am on uh, like a hundred percent carnivore, but carnivore is good. Good. Yeah. And and that you can tell that that's really good blood sugar control you've got now. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's all I had. Excellent. Thanks for the call. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Um, we do have Rolling Toe scheduled at 10 o'clock, and they will be starting right at 10 o'clock today. I've got time to scoot on out of here, make room for them, and get the show set up for them. I'm going to do that right now. Um, I'm not going to be live tomorrow. I, I'm not sure what show's going to play tomorrow. It should be new content unless the rest of my day just goes off the rails and it's it's starting to look like it might. But uh, I'm going to try to get some original content for tomorrow. Uh, I've got to take a day off. I've got to catch up on some sleep. Uh, and I've got a lot of work to do before we hit the road. So uh, I, I just need another day in there. Um, I'm going to be doing some recording later today, and I'm going to try to put together some original content for tomorrow. Um, next Friday, we will also not be live, but there will be new content. Um, we're going to record a uh, trucking technology and efficiency this afternoon for next Friday. Uh, and I'm going to work on something for tomorrow. Other than that, head on over to the store, grab some of the magnetic clay um, with all the toxins spewing around our atmosphere these days and getting into our water and our soil and our food, I, I think we're going to start talking a little more about detox. Now, I, I want to be clear. I am not saying that we can detox these chemicals. In fact, I'm sure we can't. I, I hope as practitioners, we start looking at this and, and finding things that will help. All I'm recommending is if we have this toxic load that we can't seem to do anything about, then we should focus even more on the things we can control. And I can do more active detox. I can really, really focus on where my food's coming from. Uh, and that's probably what we're going to be doing. Not something I had planned on, but I, I didn't think we were going to be watching, you know, toxic fires all over the country. So we'll adjust and we'll move on. I will see you back here on Monday. I'll be live. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.